Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you're in the room live, watching online or later on demand, or even listening to our podcast, it's a great day to be at Dayspring. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. One little step at a time, learning to live like Jesus. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. We love to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. Even if you aren't sure that you want to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. I'm personally always humbled uh, to preach the Word of God, but particularly today, as this message actually points a spotlight on my role as a pastor, as someone who has been given an official leadership role within the body of Christ. But the leadership principles apply to more than just pastors today, so don't check out because you think this doesn't apply to me. It does. But before we dive in, let's pause and pray to ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to whatever he has for each one of us today. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for every new day we get, every Sunday that we get to join together and worship you and bring our praise to you. Father, today I pray that our hearts are opened as we receive what you have for each one of us um, today through this message. Let it sink deep into our hearts that inform how we go about living in this world um, and how to stay um, resilient in this world. In your heavenly name we pray, amen. The most highly classified document in the United States government is called the President's Daily Brief. It's usually delivered to the President in person each morning by the Director of the National Intelligence. You can see it. The brief summarizes the most critical information that the United States' vast network of intelligence agencies have learned about in the previous 24 hours. It lays out how the President should structure his day in order to address the things that are most urgent. And when I think about this, I think, how cool would it be if we actually got this kind of information from God every day, right? We wake up, and as we're munching on our oatmeal, someone just shows up and tells us uh, what we need to know for this day. Okay, John, if you do this, this, and this, we can classify today as a total success. I'd be all in on that. That would be wonderful. But the daily briefing doesn't always contain good news. Of all the briefs prepared since the practice began in 1961, only one has ever been released to the public. 
And it's a two-page document titled, Bin Laden Determined to Strike the U.S. It was presented to President George Bush on August 6, 2001, one month before the attack on our country. So throughout the daily meetings, phone calls, press conferences, as well as the occasional ceremonies and state dinners, the president knows what almost no one else does. He or she knows the various risks that face our country at every moment of every day, yet still chooses to lead. See, it's not always easy to lead. In fact, it often takes great sacrifice to be a leader. For regular citizens, uh, ignorance can be bliss, right? The, the president knows the truth, whether uh, he wants to know it or not, and knows if there's an imminent attack, but we get to continue teaching school, selling coffee, building houses, or parenting children as we go about our ordinary everyday lives, just none the wiser. But the truth is, we actually do have access to this kind of information through God's Word. We, however, get a choice whether to read it or not. So this morning, we're going to look at what I'm calling the Christian's Daily Brief, written to us by the Apostle Peter. You see, this information is, it's hand-delivered to us by the Holy Spirit um, through God's Word, and if we take it to heart, it tells us what we need to know for whatever we face every single day. And if we read it, this brief will remind us of the dangers that is present in the world and challenge us to be Christ followers and to be intentional about stewarding the influence God has given us in the places he has called us to serve, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and even in our workplaces. Everywhere we go, we are called to serve others and influence them for Christ. So welcome back to our series called On This Rock. We're studying the letters written by the Apostle Peter found towards the end of the New Testament. So today, we're going to wrap up 1 Peter. And in this last chapter, Peter moves us from giving advice on how to live in a world that is opposed to Christianity to identifying what, what we as followers of Jesus must do in order to stand firm. So if you would, please turn with me in your digital or paper Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now this letter was originally written to Christians facing persecution for their beliefs who were um, living in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. But Peter's words have an application to our lives today as well. So we're going to start at the end of the chapter, which might feel a little kind of upside down from how we usually do things but just roll with me on this, okay? So let's start by dropping down to the first part of verse 13. So 1 Peter 5, 13. The first part of it said, Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings. Okay, so we know who Peter is writing to. Churches all across Asia Minor. But yet we haven't really talked about where he is writing from. I, this is really vital to understanding his whole message. Now, this verse says Peter is writing from Babylon. But hold on. Let's just put on our thinking caps here for a second. Right, I need you to remember what you learned in your ancient world geography class from high school. Wait, no one else took that class? Well, <laughs> as I didn't either. But we do, what we do know is that Peter wasn't actually writing from Babylon. 
And Peter actually traveled across the Mediterranean for quite some time. And we can follow his path in the New Testament. It just takes a little effort to poke around and find it. For instance, in Acts 15, Peter addresses the assembly of believers in Jerusalem around 49 or 50 AD. And then we see that Paul mentions seeing him face to face in Antioch in 50 AD. That's not Babylon. In fact, he's moving away from the known location of Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. So where in the world is the Apostle Peter? Well, scholars have long thought that Peter spent his final years serving the church in Rome. You see, Rome was not a happy place to be for the early Christians. Emperor Nero felt threatened by these religious fanatics who refused to worship the Roman deities, and he persecuted them relentlessly. And Peter was seeing the horrors of this persecution firsthand. He knew that things were only going to get worse before they got better because Asia Minor, where he's writing to, was under the rule of the Roman government. It was just a little further away um, from the epicenter of Rome. So why would he write Babylon here uh, instead of Rome? Well, Peter is writing in code. He knows that his letter may be intercepted by Romans on its way to these people groups across the Aegean Sea, and he doesn't want the underground church to be exposed and possibly retaliated against. Remember, Christians equal radicals from the perspective of Rome, but this is only part of the answer. There's actually another reason he uses this term. It's likely that Peter, who was Jewish, knew that Babylon was a traditional metaphor for those who oppose God's people. See, way back in the 500s BC, give or take, the nation of Babylon took Israel captive, removing the Israelites from their homeland and then brutally attacking the country and destroying the temple built by Solomon. It was a catastrophe that was so culturally relevant that it became a symbol. You see, this is important to note because Peter is communicating the context of the danger that surrounds these first century Christians. There's a real threat. They are living in a time that is aggressively opposing their belief system. Nero, the Roman emperor at the time, was viewed as a god, and no other god should replace him. And if they tried, be it bad or worse, than what the Israelites had endured under the nation of Babylon. So now let's just bring this back home for a minute. America has become another Babylon. Her culture isn't about worshiping Jesus. While at times it may have been more about Jesus, we know that our country, it's full of corruption. It's got a lust for money and a desire for power. The culture America says to forget is forget worshiping Jesus and exalt yourself. But even though our culture has moved far from honoring Christ and instead worships at the altar of self, I can still walk around downtown Salem, get some coffee, and I can tell the barista, hey, I'm a pastor at Dayspring, and not get yelled at, beaten up, or arrested. So Peter wrote this letter not only to a persecuted church, but to the followers of Jesus that were struggling to live out their faith. They were giving up and they were giving in to the pressure. Does that sound familiar? It's not always easy to be swimming upstream, going against the tide. And the difficulty many of us face in our, in our lives right now is not necessarily persecution for our faith, 
But most of us struggle, or most of our struggles come from a failure to remain consistently under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's easy to worship when times are good, and it costs nothing to hold on to our faith. But there are times when we are tired, when we feel defeated, when it seems like the circumstances of life will just overwhelm us. It's in moments like these that we choose between dealing with life or giving up our faith and thinking God really isn't with us in those hard times. See, for many years, we've been insulated in the, U- the U.S. from the kind of persecution that Peter is actually writing about. Most of us have no clue what it means to suffer for our faith in Christ. I mean, I guess I could be wrong, but has anyone here ever been put in jail for following Jesus? But in other places, in other countries and cultures, persecution is very real. Like, declaring your faith in Christ could cost you your family, could cost you your job, or your freedom, or even your life. And this is why Peter wrote his whole letter. In the second half of 12, we read, My purpose, this is Peter saying, My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. The overarching theme of this letter is focused on perseverance. And Peter uses the assurance of the Christian's sure salvation, protection found within the church, and certainty of a future hope to encourage his audience to endure, to persevere, and suffer through life well. And what Peter writes indicates that every fact, every command, sentence, word, and letter penned by the guidance of God and the Holy Spirit contains the very true and trustworthy grace of God. So no matter what you may have to suffer in this world for being identified with Christ, the cost is worth it. It is only when we depend on the grace of God that we can glorify God in times of suffering. When we stand firm on God's grace, we can endure suffering and turn trials into triumphs. But what does standing firm look like? Well, Peter has some very valuable insights for us. So let's go back to the top of chapter 5, and then we can work our way down in a more traditional sense. So verse 1, we'll start. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. Now, when we, as a church, hear the word elder, we tend to think that it refers to those who serve on a board of some kind um, and that lead the congregation in a formal manner. They typically help lead the church from an organizational standpoint. My dad actually has been an elder at his church for quite a while, so I've seen firsthand how that elder role functions. If we take a look in the Greek, the term means overseer. It's the same term that is also interchangeable with the word pastor. And Peter uses these next five verses to unpack uh, what being a pastor, an elder, or an overseer even means. And as a pastor, I need to take these words very seriously. But I'm not convinced that pastors or elders in the formal sense are the only Peter has in mind as he's writing this. A few verses farther down, and we'll get to it, Peter contrasts elders with those who are younger in the church which implies that this is more about maturity, wisdom, discernment uh, that comes with age, in addition to or instead of holding a formal title. 
So either way, these leadership principles apply to all of us as Christ followers. And if you've been at Dayspring very long, you've probably heard a phrase. You've probably heard someone say that leadership is influence and everyone has influence. Which, if that statement is true, makes us all a leader. It makes you a leader. Uh, within your context of everyday life, you are influencing and thus leading someone. And I can prove it. Okay, parents lead their children, children lead their friends, co-workers lead new hires, and babies influence their parents. <laughs> when a baby is crying and parents leap to their feet to comfort that baby, that is influence. You see, how you interact with people is a reflection of your leadership, whether you know it or not. But so often I've run into Christians who are timid and scared of that idea. So let me ask you a question. What would be your ideal job description for a pastor? What would that be? If you were just sitting down and writing out a job description for a pastor, what would you expect your pastor to do or to, to, to be? So think about it. And as you think about that job description, you then need to point that description actually back on yourself. You too have been called by Jesus into action, to love, to serve, and share with those God has placed within your circle of influence. You are equipped by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mandate to give a, that was given to us by Jesus to go, baptize, make disciples, and to teach. And whether you realize it or not, you have disciples, people who are following your lead as you model what it means to follow Jesus to them. Your friends who are watching are watching how, you're act, how you act. Your boss who's trying to understand how you keep your cool when everything is going wrong. Your kids or grandkids who are listening to your words, observing your choices, adopting your behaviors and attitude. Consciously or unconsciously, you are making disciples. You see, I heard this story about a little boy who said to his mother, can I go outside and help dad put snow chains on the car? I know all the words. So how do we lead with intention and purpose? Yeah, it took a second, but we got there. <laughs> Peter writes, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. See, Peter emphasizes that he is a co-leader with the believers he was writing to. And Peter is a team player. He's a fellow elder. He's not on the, a coach on the sidelines yelling plays to his team, but he's in the middle of the action. He's along with them. He too is leading and he's serving. You see, the call to each of us is to care for those who have been entrusted to our leadership by God. God has entrusted me with students and parents, with volunteers, and in my official capacity as a pastor, I have a responsibility to lead them well. But I'm also a husband, I'm a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, and in those roles, I have a responsibility to use my influence wisely. But Peter cautions, don't take this as an opportunity to go on a power trip. See, I've served under leaders who love to order people around. It's hard to get a glimpse of Jesus from these kind of leaders. But continuing in verse 3, we read, Don't lord it over people or lord it over the people assigned to your care, 
but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. As Christians, we follow the examples of Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve, and who gave his life as a ransom for many, who tied a towel around his waist and knelt to wash the disciples' grimy feet. We have this call to servant leadership. We lead by example, not executive order. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and good followers make good leaders. Of course, leadership can be scary. You may be afraid to lead because you may feel inadequate, or maybe you don't have the right education or the right experience. But we all have been given the Holy Spirit who indwells within us, who intercedes for us, who gives us insight, discernment, and words to speak. So let's get down to the details. Back to that President's or Christian's Daily Brief. Peter's got a five-point memo for us on how to walk this lead-follow dynamic out. And he provides us with instruction on how to stay faithful when life gets hard. So point number one of this memo is stay humble. In verse five, we pick up, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Now the word humility used here in the Greek language means to make low, or means small, or to be weakened. Now, that doesn't sound like great advice for persevering to me, right? We're trying to combat weakness, right? Well, that assumes that we could do anything at all in our own power. The truth is, true strength comes from the Lord. Humility is an act of faith. And faith means that we are trusting God to act for his purposes in his time, not our own. He has the true power and the plan, and we, can de we decrease so he can actually increase. But we slip up and think we can act on our own and solve the problem by ourselves. Well, that's kind of the opposite of faith. That's actually pride. And the only antidote to pride is the grace of God. To know that God has done it already. We've seen it played out as Jesus, God's own son, walked this earth and told his followers to turn the other cheek. And rather than complaining about our rights being viola violated, we must submit to the great shepherd and trust his ways over ours. Nothing will happen that he has not allowed. And when he allows it, he has a purpose for it, and that purpose is always for our good. And being humble means that we remember that God is in control. It means accepting all that happens to us uh, is good without resentment or rebellion against God. As Romans 8.28 says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. But let's take a second and talk about the age part of this verse for a second. My students wouldn't love to hear this verse. Right? They don't really love submitting to authority. Trust me, it's sometimes like hurting cats in youth group. But to help with this, we have been memorizing a theme verse for anyone who considers themselves young. It comes from 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. But be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. 
See, a vital part of leadership is integrity. Don't let the age part dissuade you from being a leader. So to those who are young, here, hi, it's nice to see you, set an example, right? You are a disciple right now. So enjoy this time of developing your leadership skills. Look at the Christ followers all around you who are a little further ahead in their journey with Jesus and learn from them. And then live out your faith in front of them so they can learn from you, right? I believe that our students have a lot to teach us. That God is moving through this next generation as we have seen with the recent rounds of revivals happening in universities across our country. The goal in this is to be equal, to have equal humility and to be able to learn from one another. So point number one was be humble. Humble. Second point is be dependent. In verse 7, we pick up, Peter writes, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. You see, when things are going poorly in our lives, we have a choice. We can rely on worldly things, we can give up entirely, or we can be fully dependent on God. There's a really annoying phrase I hear every once in a while. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this one before. God helps those who helps themselves. Anyone heard that before, right? That's eh, wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth of Scripture, right? You can't help yourself. And you see, Peter is writing this to persecuted Christians. Dependence on the Lord means that instead of struggling with our cares or nursing our anxieties and complaining all about all God has allowed to come into our lives, we actually turn them back over to him, accepting by faith that he will sustain us and he cares for us. And we, we have to trust these words that he does care about us. The psalmist in Psalm 55 writes, Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. And then there's point three, which is be alert. Verse eight, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to, vow, to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You see, I've noticed that for some reason, people, Christians included, don't really like talking about Satan. We have no issues admitting that evil exists in the world. We don't mind acknowledging that we have struggles in our lives that we fight to overcome. But the moment we bring up Satan, people get uncomfortable. We don't like the idea of an actual evil being uh, whose goal is to keep people from developing a relationship with God or discourage and destroy those who do know him. Why do you think that is, right? We acknowledge uh, temptation in our lives, but we don't want to acknowledge the source of that temptation. See, I think scripture makes it very clear, and I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more clearly, more clearly stated in, the, in this passage that Satan is actively trying to devour people of faith. But before we move on, I want to point out one small ver- word in verse 8 here that we tend to overlook. It's the word like. Satan is like a lion. There's no animal that's more dangerous to a sheep than a lion. You've, you've seen a sheep. You know how helpless they would be against a lion. There'd be no contest. But is Satan a lion? No. 
Satan's greatest tool is deception. He's the father of lies. He would like nothing more than for you to believe the lies he whispers and be intimidated by him. Is he powerful? Absolutely. Dangerous, there's no doubt, but he isn't all-powerful. He isn't all-knowing. He isn't sovereign. He is under the authority of God and can only go as far as God allows. So stay alert. Don't give in, even a little. If we want to resist temptation, we need to be more vigilant where we are the weakest. In fact, Martin Luther wrote, the devil climbs over the fence where it is the lowest. The Apostle Paul writes this in his letters to the Corinthians. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. See, there's no temptation that is unique to us. That's why we need to support each other. This is why the process of discipleship, which is being led through spiritual disciplines by someone a little more mature in their faith, is so important. Can you imagine how disappointed the devil must have been at Jesus' resurrection? He had thought for one moment he had defeated God's son finally, but in reality, he had been totally defeated. Since the devil could not defeat Jesus, he's actually gone to plan B, which is attacking us. And if Satan had the, the gall to tempt the son of God, he will have no trouble tempting you and I. Right, we are going to face temptation. There's no way we can tr control that, but we can fight back. The Lion of Judah has already conquered sin on behalf of us and empowers us to stand firm against our enemy. But before we can stand firm against Satan, we must bow before God. So the next point is we must be prepared. Verse 9, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Remember. See, we need to be aware that we are not alone in our faith. We aren't. Not just that we aren't alone here in Kaiser, but that we have Christian brothers and sisters all across this world. And that can be difficult to remember because we live in our own social and our own cultural bubbles that keep our minds isolated and it really limits our empathy. And sure, we hear about major news stories like the recent earthquake in Turkey or the war in Ukraine. And we say a prayer, but overall, we're only really aware of what's going on in our own little corner of the world. And I think that's a crime, in my opinion. The world is a big place. Dorothy may have said, there's no place like home, but don't forget about the believers in China or those in the Middle East who face very real persecution on a daily basis. And still, the church is absolutely exploding in those places. See, we should both celebrate and mourn with the body of Christ in these countries. And to expand our understandings, we can explore websites like persecution.com, which leads to an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. Their entire mission is to serve persecuted Christians in the world's most dangerous places to be a believer in Jesus. 
Now, I received their monthly magazine, which is full of information about how we can be praying for and financially supporting those facing horrific situations simply because of their faith. Another resource that can help us be more aware of what our brothers and sisters are going through is the Open Doors World Watch List. This list features at an annual ranking of the 50 countries across the world where Christians face the most extreme persecution. And their research found in 2023 that more than 360 million Christians face levels of persecution that are high and they are discriminated against for their faith. That's one in seven Christians. And no, the United States is not on their list. Here's the beauty. You aren't alone. The enemy wants nothing more than to divide and isolate us so that we're weaker, but we are all stronger together and God will never abandon us. And you may feel alone right now. If you're sitting in this room, even if you're sitting in this room surrounded by people, or maybe you're watching from home or you're listening to this in your car and it's just you all by yourself. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ. Stand firm in that promise and refuse to be isolated. A great, a, one great first step to combat this isolation is to fill out our communication card and let us know that you're here, either in the room or online. We would love to get to know you. So we need to reorient our minds, to be aware of what is happening within the church all across the world and also on what is still to come. Our hope is in the triumphal return of Jesus to this earth. Our hope is in the eternal life he promises. This world as it is today is not our home. We are pilgrims, we're strangers, sojourners. We will suffer here for a little while, but that cannot be avoided. And finally, we get to the last point. We must be assured. Picking up in verse 10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. You see, we don't do all these things on our own power. Jesus Christ is active and alive in the life of a believer. So take note of four things that Peter identifies in, the ver in this verse that Christ is actively doing in us. He's restoring to bring us back to wholeness, that there's nothing lacking, that he's making us complete in every way. This is what I'm calling our sin escape. Without Christ, we are destined for hell, but that's not God's plan. And he's also supporting. The idea here is to make us firm. Rather than being uncertain and weak, we will be resolute and determined in our faith. He's also strengthening. He will use the difficulties to make us stronger, to enable us to face anything he allows to come our way. He's establishing. The, the picture of the original Greek paints for us here is that it's a, a foundation that is not shaky, but has settled and is firmly established. You see, I believe that these last four sub-points really bring home how to stand firm in dark times. They could be dark because of Christian persecution, or they could be dark because of what's happening in your life personally. 
But whatever the circumstances, you are called to step up, to lead with the gifts you've been given and in the places where God has given you influence. So one last note as we think about perseverance. When I was 10, the first Olympics I really remember were the 2002 Winter Olympics. There were five finalists for the men's 1,000-meter speed skating race. And in the final lap, the American and Chinese skaters were out in front with the Canadians and Koreans hot on their heels and the Australians tra trailed behind. As they came around the last curve for that final stretch, everyone gathered around the television on the edge of their seats cheering for America to pull out front because the winner would receive that Olympic gold medal. But suddenly, the Chinese skaters slightly bumped into the American, which sent both of them careening into the walls as they spun out of control. The sprawling mess of arms, legs, and blades caused those Canadian and Korean skaters to also spin out of control, and they just t tumbled into one tangled heap. The Australian skater flew past them, flew past this pile, at the, and at the top of his lungs, as he crossed that finish line, he shouted, gold, I won the gold. You see, he won the gold that day for no other reason than he crossed the finish line. He finished the race. He wasn't the fastest. He didn't set any records. He simply didn't quit or get tangled up in the mess around him. Our confidence is in the triumphal return of Jesus. Our hope is in the eternal life he promises. We are strangers, we're foreigners now. We will suffer here for a while, but it's temporary. So what are you, what are you going through this morning? Maybe life hasn't turned out the way you planned. Perhaps the cares and burdens of life seem more than you could bear. Don't fight it. Let God use these things to humble you. Learn to let go and cause you to depend on him. As Peter wrote, peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, dependence on you can look so many different ways. At times it's easy, but at times it's not. There are times, there are seasons in our lives where we just wonder how we're going to get through this crisis, this next thing, this hurt, this pain. But God, you are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, and you've called and equipped us for so much more. That God, you've called us to be a body of Christ together, supporting each other so that we can persevere through this life. So Lord, let us be that this morning. Let us not just do that here in this church, but even after this and in the, the daily times, Lord, let us focus on you, but be brothers and sisters together as we persevere. Let us look to your word as, the, as our daily brief on how to get through this um, and even thrive through it. Let us support our brothers and sisters. Let us um, stand firm in you. Let us rely on you even when it's the most difficult. Let us continue to practice what that looks like in our daily lives. Continue to be with us. Continue to teach us on what that looks like every single day as we strive for that finish line. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. 
Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.